And so you've got 1,500 people out on the starting line and you all start at the same time. And my wetsuit, it was real cold that day, so temperature, water temperature was probably mid 50s, high 50s. Uh, but I actually had claw marks, like fingernail claw marks in my wetsuit. From other people? From other people. Uh, it's a little crazy. We have the one and only Mr. Charles here. Welcome to the show. Thanks for being on. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate it. I want to talk about, there's two big topics that I want to try to cover. And I think they coincide together really, really well. Um, I know I know. Justin's a huge advocate of this type of thinking, this way of lifestyle and all of this. And, and he always says, well, you know who's great at it? Or you know who gave me the great advice and all this other stuff. So... I want to talk about about aviation and fitness. Okay. And and I want to maybe start with the fitness, and, and it's just a conversation. We'll just talk about it. But uh, you've done quite a few what most people, including myself, would consider incredibly challenging, physically challenging um, uh, events. And we're talking in the Ironman world, the triathlon world, the marathon world, all different ranges of everything. Yeah. It's insane what you've done. So, so I want to talk about why and how and all this other stuff. Cause I think I can learn so much from it. Uh, and everybody can, but I mean, I am, I'm just trying to, to just get into that world. And, and it's, it's insane. The mental game and the everything. Anyway, I'm going to stop talking, but, why did you choose to get into that world of of triathlons and and long distance stuff and and all this of all things? What what brought that about? That's a great question. Uh, and typically, what I tell people is, I was curious what God made, and I wanted to know Ooh. what I was capable of. And I'm still not sure I know, but uh, I'm 65 years old, yeah. and at the age of 55, filling your age, and uh, signed up a year in advance to do an Ironman event mm -hmm. and had no idea what I was getting into and couldn't quite figure it out. I hired a, a coach, uh, which I always encourage people to do. If you don't know how to be successful in an area, hire somebody that knows. So you hadn't done any sort of like triathlon stuff or anything. You just said, I want to do an Ironman. Uh, well, I'd done one a sprint triathlon. Okay. And then one Olympic triathlon and a sprint triathlon. So like a 500 meter swim, 15, 20 miles on the bike. Little baby one. And then you do a We're familiar pack. with that one? Yeah, we did. That was that was what we did. And But I went straight from the sprint to the Olympic. <laughs> and the next one, then I signed up for the Ironman and trained for about a year to do that. And uh, the coach I hired has a doctorate in physiology from Oxford. And he's laid out all my fitness plans and what I needed to do and how to do it. And took a little over 13 hours for the first one, about 13 and a half hours. I was not happy. and uh, Really? Because you don't know how much energy to expend mm -hmm. and how much to really go for it. And so sure. train for another year to do another one. And so I've done all this in the last 10 years. And uh, did my second one, got shaved about an hour and a half off that, did a little over 12 hours. Wow. And I was real happy with that. You know, two and a half mile swim, 112 mile bike ride, and then get off and run a marathon. And what's the normal... Run a marathon. What's the normal, just for my clarification, everyone else's, what's the normal parameters for an Ironman? Uh, it's a 2.4 mile swim, right. 
112 miles on the bicycle. And of course you can't draft, so you mm-hmm. can't be behind anybody. You just have to run your own, whatever speed you can do. My last one, I happened to average 21 miles an hour for that 112. Uh, and then got off and ran a marathon. Yeah. And a little sub five hour marathon on that. So. Oh my word. I mean, that's it, when I'm saying. I... But what I tell people is yeah. you bite it off in little chunks because every day I would do something. But when I finally got to the event, that only represented maybe two or 3% of the effort to get there. Mm-hmm. So the event was almost like just a day off. It was fun. No kidding. And because uh, you're so prepared for it, you're yeah. ready. Well, I think that just says how unprepared I was for our, our, our sprint one, you know, playing baseball and stuff in high school and growing up just sports, you know, you get that game day buzz, the game day high and all that. And so this was the first, you're not competing obviously, you know, with, with anybody, right. You're just seeing what God made where, I mean, I'm going after this for me and, and, and my own numbers, but you still kind of get that competition game day sort of a feel sort of that hype especially when you do it with a group of people so we had we had edgar we had justin steve was there me and jordy yeah and uh and you still kind of get that competitive you know absolutely i'm I'm ready to go i'm ready to go and like you said you don't know when to turn it on and turn it off i definitely didn't know when to turn it on turn it off because i just turned it on to start with and just destroyed myself so small things it's so mental like getting into the pool you know, we swim in our pool here yeah. and it's, you know, with our colors, it's with our lights, it's with that temperature, it's with this lane. And it's so crazy how you fall into this area of like comfort almost. And it's like, oh man, I swim all the time. It's no big deal. And then you jump into this brand new pool with all these big lights and all these people and it's a different temperature and it's, it's actually, it's further, it was a 50 yard versus the 25 that we yeah. go in. And so just those changes puts you in a very weird or put me in a very weird mindset. And and I was like, I just have to go. I just have to go. And then I just tired myself out halfway through the pool. And then by then I was just cooked for the rest of it. Um, I still finished, but I think I took the training very, very wrong. So what's, what's your advice in the training world? Uh, Start slow. Mm -hmm. And I like interval training uh, because you, it seems to work real well for me. So you go real hard for a minute and then let your heart rate come back down, mm-hmm. go real hard again. And that works well for running as well as swimming. And on an Ironman, the swim's a little bit different. Uh, you start, at least the first one I did was a mass start. Mm-hmm. And so you've got 1,500 people out on the starting line and you all start at the same time. And my wetsuit, it was real cold that day. So temperature, water temperature was probably mid 50s, high 50s. Uh, but I actually had claw marks, like fingernail claw marks in my wetsuit. From other people? From other people. Uh, it's a little crazy. Oh, my word. And they've changed that now, so you kind of go in one at a time. Wow. Uh, but it was an interesting anybody, start. Anybody ever get, I mean, hurt? That was probably not comfortable. People but... have drowned before. Oh, my god. But gosh. they have a lot of kayaks and other people out there. And that's unusual for anything to happen. Sure. Uh, but it does. Wow. And uh, Are you are you a big, big advocate of, of interval training and, and training with you know, solely based, not solely, but largely based on heart rate monitoring. Absolutely. What's In the, fact, what's I did a lot of VO2 max training. Explain that a little bit. What is what is VO2 max training? Uh, well, VO2 max ideally would show you how, what your oxygen intake is mm-hmm. at a particular heart rate. But what we were interested in working with this physiologist, Ben Stone with mm-hmm. Sigma, uh, was actually seeing what my caloric burn was and whether I was burning. You basically have two different fuels for your body 
you're either burning carbs or you're burning fats. And we wanted to stay in fat burning zones. Mm-hmm. Well, mine was real low in my heart rate zone because I was way out of shape. Right. And so we worked on trying to expand that. So I was burning fats further and further into my heart rate zones. Yeah. I also need to find out where your lactate threshold zones are. You get into those, your muscles lock up, it becomes hard to compete. Gotcha. And uh, so found out where that was. And basically, I can averaged 148 beats per minute for 12 hours uh, to stay in those fat burning zones. And because you cannot take in enough fuel, enough food to sustain your body for that long. I got you. You only have about two hours worth of carbs in your body. And uh, so you've got to burn fats to get that far. Wow. And of course, with your heart rate burning, you're trying to fuel all your muscles. You can't, even if you're eating, your body cannot absorb all that. Mm -hmm. And so you have to watch and kind of balance that out. And it just takes time and practice to figure out where you where your, those numbers lie. And, and well, actually, and then you go get on a stationary bicycle or a treadmill, put the mask on, and then they'll measure that for you at different heart rates, so you know exactly where those places are. Wow! And then you know what heart rates to train at. Yeah. And what that's doing to you. How did you know when you were ready to go and do the Ironman? Was there a certain benchmark you were trying to hit, or certain numbers trying to reach, or was it just a time deal? And you were like. I am ready to go do this thing. Well, they just said uh, the the event takes place at this time on this day. Be there, <laughs> and that was it. <laughs> We're just gonna be ready feel, regardless. Yeah, I never felt ready. It was just sure. It time to go. Wow, toe the line and go. Did you have anybody with you doing it, training with you? Uh, my what on oh, training? Or, 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 or doing it? Yeah. Different people train yeah. with me at different points. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it's hard to do that with someone. Sure, I got you. So. Talking about that versus aviation, um, and I don't think everybody agrees with this, but um, we love working out, you know, in the morning, which is was a massive, still is a massive struggle for me. Um, but it definitely sets the tone for the day, right? You know, that's if you can make yourself get up and jump into a freezing cold pool and yeah. do a bunch of laps. That's pretty, you know, that's very uncomfortable. That's yeah, and so. You know, having those phone calls, going through the emails, doing whatever for the day, you know, it, it makes it that much more attainable. Um, do you agree with the whole, you know, I think whether you work out in the morning or afternoon, you know, that can be a personal thing, but I prefer working out in the afternoon, uh, kind of as a, a stress. I'm not a morning person. No morning workouts. No. Yeah. And, it's, uh, I, I mean, occasionally you do, especially yeah. with a group. Mm-hmm. A lot of times biking or running groups like to start early, six or seven mm-hmm. o'clock. And so I get up to go with those groups. But if it's just me going out to get on the bike or go run. Afternoons. Afternoons. I like them. I I usually feel a little bit more focused or feel like I have, you know, I haven't just woken up and now I'm trying to muster up a bunch of energy or something. But I do like the mental side that it puts me in um, early in the morning just for that that day's stuff. But do you think that plays a huge part in people's lives just working out in general, I mean, does it change your actual mental mindset? I think it does. I think it does. I agree with you. It's uh, just the discipline of life mm-hmm. to be able to get up and do something, uh, whether it's physical or mental, uh, is a big thing. Yeah. Just to have that discipline to get up and get out of bed and get your day started and get rolling. I've been retired for seven or eight years now, and having a little bit of discipline to life and doing those, some of those things is important. Sure. How does how does aviation fall into your world? Because you've you've 
<laughs> you've done a lot in that, right? So what's, how did you, first, how did you get started in aviation? And then how does, we'll get to fitness and flying later, but, but how did you get started? What was, what was the interest in getting into aviation? Uh, I was bored. I was working <laughs> for a company and was just working weekends and holidays uh, yeah. back when I was 19, 20 years old. And I had all week long free mm-hmm. to do what I wanted to do. And I thought, well, I'm going to go to the airport, see what it, see how, what it's like to fly. Sure. And uh, got my first, first flight. And like I was telling Edgar a minute ago, it's addictive. Mm-hmm. And I just loved it. And I actually got my pilot's license in 40 hours. Uh, Which is the minimum, by the way. So we're all clear. Oh, and uh, just enjoyed it every minute of it. Yeah. And, and that's, what I would encourage people to do, find things you enjoy doing. Sure. Go do those things. Did you ever fly like professionally or like for, for hire, charter work or anything like that? Uh, after I retired, mm-hmm. uh, I was doing some of these physical things and got kind of burned out. Yeah. I'd uh, actually trained to do the Leadville 100 mountain bike race. Did you really? And so you, it's an invitation only. You started Leadville, Colorado, 10,200 feet up and ride for 100 miles across the mountaintops, 12,000 feet of climbing, 13, whatever it is. And, uh, Took me just over ten hours to do that, uh, and I did that about three years ago. How did how did you feel? Was that not just brutal? It was. There's a certain exhilaration that comes with endorphins. Sure. <laughs> well, you must have had a lot <laughs> of you them. Know. Sure. And uh, oh and my So it's just a blast to yeah. go do that. How many people were were at that event? I was fifteen hundred. Fifteen. Oh, yeah. yeah so and, you said uh, I got you. So it was, and of course, it's a mass start. Wow. You know, and it's not a mass finish. Sure. A lot of people, I think in my age group, I want to say two thirds of the guys did not finish the race. Only a third. It's, it's a brutal day. Oh my word! So, say it again. Where, where did you Where did you finish in your in your group? Uh, I was, I think, around the top twenty, something like that. Wow! But just a, a fortunate day, and was able to do that. But, I have I have heard, and I don't know if this applies to that extreme type. The whole thing's uphill. No, I mean, there's obviously there's uphills and downhills, but right. it's all at like. Nine, ten thousand feet or greater. Wow! You get up above the tree lines at certain points. Is it true that whether you've got the, you know, the four thousand, eight thousand dollar bike from here versus the hundred dollar bike from here, it doesn't really make it's the, a huge difference. The engine makes the biggest difference. Yeah. The person riding it. Sure. There were guys out there uh, that had done every Leadville event since it started, and they were on the same bicycle they ran the first one on. And it's just amazing to see them yeah. do that. And you have no idea how those guys can accomplish that. Sure. Some guys did it on a single speed bike. Again, clueless how they were able to do that. Uh, I can't imagine being in that kind of condition. I'm I'm telling you. Wow. It's yeah. It's that fun. is so so we flew because we were bored. Yeah. Right, go ahead. <laughs> no, what gonna say? Yeah, because I kind of got sidetracked there with that story. Sure. No, no, no. That's good. That's good. And uh so we flew because we were bored, and, and you did some forestry stuff, right? Yeah, Flying. I eventually uh, got my commercial pilot's license, got my CFI, mm-hmm. and did some photography work for a company for a summer, and then uh, was able to hook up with forestry mm-hmm. and work for them the last couple of years as a wildfire pilot. What goes into that? Can you can you break down that process? Because I've heard about scout planes and this and that. What's What's the purpose? How does it work? And what was your role in that? Uh, in Arkansas, we would fly different routes mm-hmm. and at different times of the year because the fire danger is going to, of course, right now it's so wet. Everything's greening up. Not mm-hmm. a lot of fire danger out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, just prior to that, though, there were some huge fires. You probably heard about the one over here at Sheridan, a couple hundred acres. Yeah. 
or I think it was larger, like 1,400, 1,500 acres on that. Yeah. And so you'll go out, and when you see those smokes, you go look at every smoke, mm-hmm. and you're going to be 500 to 1,000 feet above ground level. Uh, you may be in 45, 60-degree banks, so you're one and a half, two Gs mm-hmm. th- wow. while you're doing that. And trying to ascertain whether it's out of control, is there somebody down there with it, do they need some help? Mm-hmm. And just try to evaluate what's going on with the fire. Gotcha. Uh, they send you to fire training school. It's the same one the guys on the ground get. And so you have some idea what those guys are going through mm-hmm. and what they're looking at. And then you try to help direct them so you know where the head of the fire is, uh, which direction it's going, how big it is. Sometimes a fire will go in a couple of different directions, and you want to make sure you don't have anybody in that gap. Gotcha. Get them back out of that. Because if that starts to come back together, yeah, um, it's it's not a good, good thing. Sure. Yeah. No <laughs> kidding. How, how long did you do that? Uh, just for two years. Okay. And uh, just had a blast doing that and really enjoyed it. That's amazing. So mostly survey stuff. What what are the yeah. scout planes? What is that? Uh, Cessna 182s. They also do T-41s, which is a 172 with a 210-horse engine in it. Wow. And then we had a couple of commanders, which are twin-engine, the high-wing twin-engine plane. Mm-hmm. And uh, we'd use those for support. So if we're bringing in tankers to fight a fire, then we'd have a commander next to us in the plane. We'd be circling the fire. And then telling the guys in the tankers where to drop their load gotcha. and then coordinating with the guys on the ground so that we're not dropping on them. Sure. Unless they're in trouble and need <laughs> And then they really need some it. help. Yeah. yeah. Wow. That is so cool. Do you miss it at all? Uh, at times. I, I miss the action. Yeah. Where it gets hard is when you're not doing anything, you're in the hangar, you're cleaning up the planes, you're just sitting there. Sure. And those are long days. Yeah. Yeah. I got you. What about your instructing part of your life what was do you miss that at all what was your passion in getting your, your instructor license I, I just enjoy I've probably taken 50 people up for their first flight mm-hmm. ever wow and that is a thrill yeah just to uh, watch the expression on their face to let them have control of that plane and just see the light bulbs flashing yeah as they're starting to see and realize what they can do and experience in this world is there one that stands out above all the other ones uh not really. Uh, they all follow kind of the same trend. Sure. And that they start off real tentative and kind of afraid of the plane and what's going on. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, you just see this ear-to-ear grin. Ready to go. And uh, super excited about it. What do you say to the young kids that are looking to get into aviation? Because is there a shortage going on right now? Is that, oh, is, is that real? It okay. is. And uh, they could use a lot of pilots right now. Mm-hmm. And, of course, pilots in the past have come up through the military Right. And we're not seeing as many of those now. And yeah. a lot of the pilots are aging out. They have to retire at age 65. Mm-hmm. And uh, so it's going to start shrinking that. Of course, the last couple of years, with everything going on, a lot of those, they allowed a lot of those pilots to retire early. Right. And it's going to be hard to get them back in the saddle again. They relatively recently kind of dropped the uh, the hours, the, the minimum hours to get into it, right? Yeah. Does that concern you at all in any way? I'm sure there's a lot of good instruction that goes with that, mm-hmm. and or they would not have done that. Sure. Uh, there's a lot of new technology that really helps. Yeah. Uh, kind of. When I learned, it was just on the round gauges, the analog gauges. Yeah. There was not GPS. There was no magenta line to follow. <laughs> right. And uh, yeah. and so you have to learn to navigate a little bit differently. Sure. And. Uh, so there's, I think, some experience like that because you really have to picture in your head what's going on, what's going on, where you are in space, and yeah. kind of that 3D view of the world. 
uh, when you're in the plane, especially when you're in clouds, like you're learning. Sure. Yeah. And uh, now then with the new technology, you can actually see that, whether it's on your iPad or on that flat screen in front of you. Mm-hmm. And uh, really helps with that visualization. Are there cons to it? Because, I mean, I have heard some guys in the past, oh, you're not a real pilot if you're not doing, you know, the six pack and all this other no. stuff. It's, I mean, does it, is it a safe, is now a safer way to fly or does it make for uh, complacent pilots? I think it's a safer way to fly. You've yeah. got a lot of new technology that's helping people to sure. be in the right place at the right time. And uh, you, we can fly direct now. We don't have to go nav aid to nav aid, VOR mm-hmm. to VOR. Uh, a lot of those things that we had to do in the past. Sure. And so I think it's a better way to fly. It's more efficient. And, uh, yeah, no complaints. What's the What's the trait that makes a good pilot? If you had to pick one out, because you've seen a bunch of people in and out and all that. What's And this might be kind of where I'm dipping into the physical thing, because I really do think that they just share so many similarities. You've got... I mean, it, it can it can be tough flying an airplane. You know, the mental stress, being on top of your game, yeah. and especially if you've got people with you, and then you have people's lives literally in your hands. Yeah, that mental game, the mental game of of swimming and biking and all that. To me, they just fall very close to hand in hand. And if you do one, it kind of helps the other. I think with fitness, you know, you're constantly evaluating where you are, mm-hmm. what your body feels like what you're able to do, how far you can go, how hard you can go. Uh, you need to do the same thing with your piloting. Evaluate each flight. What did I do good? What did I do, what did I do bad? Mm-hmm. I used to subscribe to the NTSB reports. And so I'd read all of the accident reports and see where somebody messed up, where they did good, uh, what they could have done. And what's amazing is oftentimes those people investigating the accidents are out there the very next day in sunshine. They wrecked in bad weather, and if they just waited a day. And so, you know, I always, when in doubt, do without. Sure. And so if you're not confident, don't do it. Yeah. And uh, if you're not confident in your body and what you're going to accomplish, if you haven't kind of experienced some of those things, Mm -hmm. go try it out. Go see if it works for you or not. You know, some guys push so hard. There was a a race that I really enjoyed over in Conway, a half marathon, and – I'm not sure I should identify it, but a guy pushed so hard he actually died at the end of it. And you don't want to be in that position that you're pushing too hard. You've got to know what your body can do. You've got to know what your mind can do and what you can accomplish with that plane. And that's really the purpose of some of the maneuvers mm-hmm. is if you get in that unusual situation, that unusual attitude, do you know what to do? Can you recover? Yeah. What's the emergency procedure? Uh so don't, you know, when you're out doing these triathlons, don't push it too hard. Sure. But let's go out and practice, mm-hmm. you know, that 95, 98% of the time that we're out there trying to see what our bodies can do, see what God made. Yeah. And, uh, I love that. See what God made. How do you know? I mean, and I can only speak from personal experience of what, you know, what, what I know, how I train and, and all that. But I feel so many times like I was I was telling someone we went on a bike ride and uh, it wasn't very far. It's like a little 12 mile deal, you know, super easy, super calm. I mean, you can talk the whole time. So you're just chilling. Yeah. Just getting time in the seat. Um, and, and we were talking about these little gels that you see these guys get all the time, the little power gels. You got the little yeah. pouch that's in the back deal. And I said, I just, I guess it just shows how 
poorly I train or how unintensely I train because I couldn't imagine getting to that physical point where I have to, in the middle of doing something, get calories in, get get energy into my system to then feel it keep going. Have, have you hit that point before? What is that like? Because again, that just shows how terribly easy and lame that I work out that I haven't ever pushed myself to that point. But what is that like to, to physically have to, not like when you're done and I'm tired, but I got to keep going. So I have to physically bring something in to keep me going. I mean, we've all been thirsty and drink water, but yeah. is it different? You learn where your your boundaries are. Yeah. And so, yeah, I've been to that point. And it's, it, you learn what it takes to get there. You go back and evaluate mm-hmm. after the fact. Go, what did I do? Did I go too hard? Did I go too long? Was I just not in good enough shape? Yeah. And start to evaluate those things and kind of see what could help you get better. I've gone bike rides where my legs would lock up, just cramp up, and I would have to stop, let my body kind of yeah. flush those poisons, that, that lactic acid out, yeah. and uh, get back on and go again or have to get something to eat. Good grief. And uh, one of the worst days I had was doing a hundred mile mountain bike ride over here at Lake Sylvia by myself and you're out in the middle of nowhere. Mm. And it was, I, I trained hot afternoons at density altitude because I was training to, to race at altitude. Mm-hmm. And so on a hot day, it might be 4,000 feet simulated. Right. And, uh, was able to go out and ride in that. And you just get to the point that you just bonk. Yeah. I ran out of water. I ran out of food and sat down and went, what am I going to do now? Yeah. Well, I'm going to get back on the bike and go until I fall over and eventually made it back to the car. And you made it back. Yeah. Oh, my word. But it's interesting to see where those boundaries are in your life. Sure. And uh, Was it an ex- a physical exhaustion or I guess it wasn't a mental exhaustion because you had the mental capacity to get back on and go? That's a little right? bit of both because yeah. you have to will yourself to, to continue and yeah. to go ahead and finish. You're going to find yourself someday in a bad situation on the plane and you're going to go – Okay, let's pull this together. What do I know? Let's go do it. Yeah. Well, and... that's we we had a great flight today for mine, but that was one of my very first times being full left seat, doing the whole nine yards. Yeah. And I was we were sitting at the end of the runway, ready to take off, and have that little small thought in your head of, okay, here we go, we're gonna do this. Yeah. But it was a, you've done this before, you yeah. know what you're supposed to do, so do what you know. And, and go do it and just go do it. And it was, yeah. ended up being a good fight. Again, that's not nearly as extreme. Man, that's exciting though. First time in the clouds and sure to do that, be in control. Yeah, it was wonderful. It was really, really good. That is just, oh, that's um, awesome. I'm looking forward to the rest of it. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. That was, uh, it was, it's a lot going on. I've had some awesome people that I get to fly with that, that make it so much easier. Um, what's, what's the hardest struggle that you've seen both in when you instruct and then, of course, you've taken all the tests. What was the hardest part of of instrument flying specifically for you that you kind of had to overcome? Mine was far and away the knowledge test prep to to just take in all of that and then just go take the test. Um, but was it was it that? Was it the actual flying? What was the hardest part for you? I would agree with you. That test is yeah. extremely difficult, and to be able to get through that is huge. So congratulations. Thank you. You passed the test. <laughs> right. Uh, you're just hitting all the milestones here. I know. It's good. Uh, I'll fail something really quick here, but uh, we're, we're chugging along. Yeah. And so, and then I think the second part is 
you know, getting that mental picture in your head mm-hmm. and you're getting there, you're there right now to be able to do what you did today. Uh, the next part's going to be able to regurgitate all that to that FAA examiner mm-hmm. uh, in an oral, oral exam. And I'm sure you'll do well with that. Right. <laughs> I'm a little nervous on that part, but yeah. yeah. You know, but they want you to succeed, but they want to make sure you know what you're doing. Sure. Uh, because when you do have other people with you in the clouds, they want to make sure everybody's good. Everybody's safe. And and you do too. Yeah. So no surprise there. You still fly? I much? do. Yeah. I probably, I probably flew 40 hours in January and I, I typically fly 20 hours a month, something like yeah. that. What kind of plane do you typically fly? I, I've a, got a little Mooney aircraft mm-hmm. and it's fast, you know, 150, 60 and uh, just enjoy it. Doesn't burn a lot of gas. Yeah. Yeah. Really, really holds, good. You know, hauls four people. And What's your favorite plane you've flown? Is it is it the Mooney? Is that your all-time favorite? Oh, it'd be Justin's plane always. Oh, of course. Yeah. <laughs> Who wouldn't? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I've flown a lot of great planes. I mean, that twin engine that we flew for forestry. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look up Bob Hoover and the Aero Commander, you'll see where he actually takes that and does all of his maneuvers in it. That is that plane. It is. We'll we'll overlay it on top of this, but there's a shot of him pouring water, uh, doing doing barrel rolls. That's that's that, that right? It is yeah. same plane. It's the only plane that's ever been approved as Air Force One. Eisenhower flew back in it back wow. in the fifties. Wow! And it's just a, a neat plane. To get to pilot and, and fly, we were over at at the 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 forestry hangar sometime last year, I think it was, and they let us get up into them and actually sit in and and look. And it's amazing the ones that we saw were, you know, obviously they don't they don't make those anymore, so these were these were a little bit older, but it was incredible to see that technology because they still they weren't modded out or changed very much at all. The yeah. overwhelming majority of the plane was all original. Um, and it is so cool to see that. So I've, I've, I'm part of the flight club here. And then of course we've got our, our plane yeah. here and, uh, going to the steam gauges versus the glass and all that stuff. I love jumping back and forth between the two. Uh, I huh. prefer the glass for sure. Cause okay. it's, it's now what do you like about that? I enjoy it because it's very much like this. It's, it's, yeah. it feels natural. Um, we do so much on our cell phones and I think I was in the back end of the generation, one of the last generations, not growing up with that as a young, young kid. Mm-hmm. Um, but especially for, for younger generations now that, you know, TVs, iPads, cell phones, we're so used to that type of an interface. Yeah. Um, I think it's just a very natural form of, of communication and, and receiving yeah. information. So I like the glass because it feels comfortable um, very similar, like when we do stuff like this, we have our podcasts and we have our video editing and all this, and we're, we're watching audio levels. We're looking at the different things and timelines and by no means does a video editing suite compare to a G1000 glass cockpit, but you still kind of get that sense of monitoring and workflow and having a bunch yeah. of information kind of in one small I just spot. love all the situational awareness it gives you. It Absolutely. Just yeah. It's, it's. I don't know. That's that's my favorite. But at the same time, I still like going back and doing the the steam gauges. There's a little Cherokee out here that's got just a little simple six pack, and that's it. There's no GPS. There's no nothing. I mean, it's it is just just the gauges. Um, well, it's almost every flight I take, I take pictures. Yeah. Because to me, it is amazing, and it's like just get your head out and look outside just and see what this rock is. And to me, it's amazing yeah. that people can look at the world that we live in and be angry and mad and killing each other and doing all the things going on in this world. Yeah. It's like, man, do you not realize where we are and what we're doing? It's just, 
It's incredible. But it is. Stop and smell the roses. Yeah, just look at the world you're in. What's your favorite part of aviation? Is it that? Is it the literal and figurative 10,000-foot view? Is that really, really what it is? What it really is addictive for me Yeah. because you, the world seems so small when you're up looking at it. Yeah. And it's like all the stuff on the world, just on the ground, just kind of fades away. Mm-hmm. And everything's right at that point. <laughs> it's all good. Well, yeah. your priorities are, are really put in place. I mean, there's you're, you're not on your phone. You're not answering emails. You're not, other than ATC, hopefully, you're not doing a bunch of communication <laughs> type stuff. I mean, you really yeah. are, your job is to not crash into the ground, yeah. right? I mean, that's that's all it is. That is your entire responsibility from the start of the flight to the end. It's just your life becomes very simply black and white. Yeah. And then you just get to, as long as you're not doing the wrong things, not crashing, not getting into a bad situation, you just get to focus on the good stuff. What? And fitness is the same way. Yeah. You ought to just be focused in on that run or that bike or that swim and not worried about everything else. Focus on what your body feels like and what that's giving you at the time. Yeah. And just enjoy that. It's a great way to tie them together. That's the majority of the topics that I was. What questions do you have? I'm, I'm curious of, of what you've got. Anything? Uh, no, I'm kind of curious about your aviation experience. I can't believe you're 250 hours in. Yeah. You've only got, what, uh, one, two years in on this? Or? Pretty close. Yeah. So I, uh, I graduated uh, my school with a degree in aviation. And uh, they didn't pay for your flight hours or anything. That was all separate. This was just, yeah. just the degree. Aviation management. Uh, but I did take flight lessons at the time. I think I had built just shy of 40 hours. Did not take it as seriously as I should have um, really slacked on, on training. I mean, I didn't really have, I kind of did it because my uncle was air traffic control at Houston center for years and years oh, and years. Awesome. Yeah. Super cool. Um, and when I was trying to decide what I wanted to do, he said, well, you love airplanes. Why don't you go into aviation? And so I was like, Hey, that, that'd be great. And he says, you're going to the school I went to and they had a great flight school. I don't know what's, what's going on now. Um, so I joined the flight school, made a couple friends, but I didn't have anybody actively flying. Um, I had one girl, but she ended up graduating. And uh, and so it was just kind of me, and I didn't really know exactly the direction to take, and I just kind of, I didn't take it very seriously. So I graduated, got my degree, did not have my my ticket, but I did have a good little handful of, of flight hours. Um, it also kind of turned from, I felt a little bit more like it was... It was a chore, you know, it wasn't like, yeah. oh, I've got this bug and I really want to, or I didn't have it at the time. It was just kind of part of school, if you will. So I don't think I enjoyed it enough to really attack it as, as well as I could have. Um, so I kind of backed off. I graduated, got a job with a local nonprofit doing charity flights for, for different areas. And that was wonderful to still be in the world of aviation, still coordinating with these volunteer pilots and this awesome work that they do. Yeah. Um, I just helped out with a little bit of the marketing and the coordination and stuff. So still got to be in and around aviation, fly with them every now and then, you know, once every other month or something, just to kind of still have that bug. Yeah. Um, and then I, I tried to get into it again a couple months later, but they had closed the flight school. They didn't have it locally, so I had to drive out of town, and it made it real tough flying, you know, yeah. one or two hours every weekend or every other weekend. So again, kind of tabled it, didn't do much. And then when I moved here to start working at DNT. Um, we've got our plane that we fly around for work. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I was able to get back at it being 
here at the hangar, being yeah. in and around the planes, having the awesome coaching from Justin, it just really ignited it back into it. So I have been very fortunate to pick up as many hours as I have, you know, with the amount of travel work that we do. Um, and again, and that, that was my big concern getting into the IFR world was that maybe I had kind of jumped the gun on how to do stuff. Um, I, I quickly jumped into, you know, the private pilot. And so I studied for the, for the, for the written, knocked that out. I mean, I was, I was flying every day. I mean, it was, and we were still in Little Rock. So it was just part of the routine, finish up work, drive down here, get with the instructor and go fly for an hour. And so I knocked that out in just a a month and a half, something like that. I mean, it was, it was awesome. And then once again, dragged my feet to get the instrument. I should have jumped right back into it. I'm just now getting back into it. But, uh, I did kind of feel like I was jumping the gun slightly because we fly instrument everywhere we go. Yeah. And I knew, oh, we're going to shoot an RNAV approach for runway, you know, three, six. And I knew I punch this button and then we do this and I punch this button. We do that. I don't really know why we punch this button and what that means, but I know we're supposed to do it and it works every time. So I kind of felt like I had way jumped ahead and and I would just get eaten up by the why and the how yeah. of it. You know, just like a lot of times, you know, you, you learn on steam gauges and how to do paper flight plans and all this other stuff. Well, now we do everything on our iPads and it's all yeah. digital. So I don't know. I kind of had this weird false sense of insecurity of, you know, I don't know what I'm doing. I just know how to do it and, I, and that's going to hit me. So yeah. I, I think I was a little timid and scared to get back into it. But again, with awesome coaching from people here and all that, it's been much smoother than I thought. Well, you know, and that's something that I think has always helped me. And I, whether it's your career and your job, whatever it is, or fitness or flying, is to have that mentor. Because with that mentor, you know, for me, it was Ben Stone mm-hmm. and uh, Sigma and, and coaching me and talking to me and talking me through all that stuff with you as Justin and the time that you could spend with all these different aviators and, mm-hmm. and pilots. Uh, and the same thing for me, as I have spent my life doing different things, it's those people that are trying to help you yeah. and pull you up and showing you the ropes that really make a difference. And to me, it's kind of fun, it's kind of the CFI question, is to be able to give some of that back yeah. and help somebody else that wants it and to show them some of the ropes and the things you've been through. And hopefully sure. they can avoid some of the mistakes. <laughs> right, help them out. You've <laughs> that you've made. And, been there, done that. Yeah. yeah. And try to encourage them to, to realize what they're really capable of doing. Sure. Uh, if they just have the opportunity. Just and that's a lot of fun. One of the things that I want to hit on a minute ago, you kind of alluded to it, mm-hmm. uh, is to use the plane. One of the things I've done are angel flights. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And to pick somebody up that is just dead from chemo mm-hmm. and they can just get in the plane and they need to sleep. And sorry. No, you're good. Uh, I know. Those are some of the most meaningful flights is to see that struggle and just be grateful that you're not in that and you're able to help them and do something. So if you can give back, uh, it's just a great way to mentor somebody else, to sure. help them and, and to use the, the privileges that we have in the lives that we have. That little airplane right above your head. Yeah. That is a little squeeze plush plane for pilots for patients. Oh, fun. And so they're, they're part of the Air Care Alliance deal with Angel Flight. So that was, that was my previous, uh, previous life was uh, having the wonderful, wonderful opportunity to work with pilots or patients. Yeah. Um, I know exactly what you mean. It's, it takes some, 
And I think that's what makes pilots, and that's what I want to try to become one day, maybe, is is pilots like you, pilots like Justin, ones who, sure, the plane has a use and it's business and this and that and whatever, but when it has that opportunity to make a difference in people's lives, yeah, that is that is so huge. Um, and that's how I met Justin. He was he was a volunteer pilot for Pilots for Patients, um, and and Angel Flight. He does he does that as well. Um, I think he was Pilots for Pauls or something. So I mean, yeah. he was very involved in that. Um, and that's how we ended up meeting each other and and huh. got to work. But uh, I did not know that. That's fun, right? Yeah. Well, well, I kn- I've that is one of my very secret till now. That's not a secret, but but aspirations is that when I was working at Pilots for Patients. We got a phone call one day, and it was a 24-year-old girl whose little girl had cancer. She was like mm. six months old, oh. something like that, super tiny. Breaks your heart. Yeah. yeah. Neuroblastoma stuff, and it was. they said they had a softball-sized tumor in her abdomen, and they said she should have been over at St. Jude Hospital yesterday, and she was based in Monroe, which is where I was living. The sucky part of that call, and she called and was like, can pilots or patients help out at all? We're just stuck. Um, sucky part, that was my sister who made the call, and we had no clue what was going on. Oh, man. That was the first I had heard of it, and it was it was at work, and I was like, yes, we 100% can. And yeah. within 30 minutes, probably more like 15 minutes or so, we had five different pilots scattered throughout like the surrounding three states that said, you tell us when, you tell us where. Yeah. We are ready to, I'm, I'm, I'm going to stay by the airport. I'm ready to fly whenever you can. And just to see that level of commitment and, and selflessness that these guys do, I mean, it is totally about helping other people. And I was like, man, if... Uh, if I ever get the opportunity to do that and pass that on, that would just be yeah. huge. Um, we were able to fly her to St. Jude. They had to do this meta jet pairing situation where, you know, she was hooked up to all sorts of tubes and stuff. And so they had her and the mom and they were able to coordinate with angel flight and do linking missions. And they were yeah. able to fly the dad and grandparents and, <clears throat> and close people that needed to be there, fly them and have them on the tarmac waiting for the St. Jude med jet to land and get them on the, on the runway. Um, it just, it hit home cause it was personal, it was family and all this other stuff. So up to wow. then it was just kind of a job, but then to see how it physically affects people, I was like, that's what I have to do. So when you're telling that story, getting emotional, it brings back all of that. So my secret deal is that I would love to hit the, the hour minimum, which I just hit, um, yep. and then get my instrument rating, which is their requirement. And then be able to say, sign me up for PFP, you know, yeah. or, or angel flight or, or any of the air Alliance stuff. Cause it's. Well, it was actually here in Bryant. That's where I met Justin as well, or right after I met Justin. Mm-hmm. There was a guy here locally that needed a transplant, been waiting on a good donor. Mm-hmm. And, of course, that's always the tough part. Sure. And uh, But he had to be up at Mayo Clinic. And Justin and I jumped to the plane with this man and his son and flew him up there. And that was just an amazing day. Yeah. And to see Justin... And his heart for doing that. Yeah. And I mean, I literally made a phone call and he was here at the airport as quick as he could get here. Yeah. And we were gone. Yeah. Because it was a very time sensitive situation because they were pulling it out of one body and putting it in another. And, uh, goodness. 
it just it makes you feel good to be a part of that sure. and that you can help somebody. Yeah. Well, like when you're talking about being up there and just looking up and looking out and you just realize how lucky you are to be able to have the yeah. blessings and opportunities that you have, it, it really does put it like, why, what are we doing? Why are we, you know, yeah. why are we doing the stuff that we're doing when we have this, when we could put this anger, frustration, fighting, politics, whatever it is, and just put all that energy into flying some guys to go get life-saving treatment to make yeah. some phone calls and help out. It's It puts it differently. So that's that's something I definitely want to do. Uh, and I'm working on it. I'm working on it. Just got to stop dragging my feet. You were great. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Um, that's about all the questions I have. That's I think we've been rolling for about an hour or so, oh which is plenty long enough. The last thing yeah. we do have to do, uh, which is the inaugural, you have to just <laughs> sign your name and your date and we'll stick it on the cup and, right. uh, and we'll get it going just like these up here. Uh, thanks for being on. This was good. Oh, thanks for the invite. Thanks for not going to sleep while I'm talking. So. <laughs> right. Never. <laughs> Never could. We'll have to go fly sometime. We'll have to knock it out. Absolutely. I want to go see what you're doing. Yeah. Tell me what not to do. All right. There we go. Let's go ahead and rip it off. Stick it on. Oh, goodness. It's probably going to be a little... A little wet, but do your best sticking on the front right. there. Right Some, around DNT simple. Wherever you want, that'll work. It'll probably fall off with the condensation, yeah. but it's all good. DNT media. <laughs> <laughs> there we go. And that's a wrap. That's it. All right.